0: You are listening to Get Real Podcast.
1: So, Dan, what do you think about the new arrangement here in the fishbowl? It's it's comfy cozy. It is comfy cozy. We have to really thank my wife, Deb, for the assistance and the feng shui in this room. No, it's definitely
2: feng shui. I it is gonna...
1: feng shui. And it's really awesome that we changed the setup in the fishbowl that we're in because we're doing our first band interview in here and we were able to fit everybody in.
2: Yeah, I'm glad it's not the Gypsy Kings or or Dream Theater, <laughs> Santana, or Santana. Who else? Um, Almond Brothers. Oh, they are what, like five guitar yeah. players or something. Or how know. about Chicago? The yeah. whole
1: the whole entourage. Yeah, the, the horn
2: section is going to be out in the hallway. <laughs> no, it's that's good just, stuff.
1: Just wouldn't be able to do it. Well, before we get into who's here, we're going to hop in the Delorean, Dan. And go back to the nineteen eighties. Oh yeah. When both you and I were super cool. Oh yeah. In high school. Let's let's grow the mullets back out. Oh, there we go.
2: Did you have uh, parachute pants? I did. They were really expensive. I lived near Dallas when that was like all the rage, you know, and breakdancing and Michael Jackson and Van Halen, like Panama and all that stuff. So it was like they were cool, but I could never get like the really, really expensive kind, you know. We had too many kids parents wouldn't go for it
1: i figured out why i have so many issues in my life because you didn't get the parachute pants exactly i got the cheap knockoffs that look yeah. like pants. they only had pants. three zippers <laughs> and not 40 yep exactly yeah. exactly no, that's cool great decade though oh yeah wonderful yeah. decade um you've done a lot of look at the book Pend- pendulum yes tell us about what the 80s were according to that book
2: yeah, it's real interesting for our listeners. We've mentioned it before. Pendulum is a book. You can look it up. You can get it on Audible. We ought to have an affiliate link and make some cash. We Do should cash T- check great. out yeah. and use promo code <laughs> Dan is awesome. And then uh no, anyway, it's a book and it was written, it was co written, I believe it was a Jewish dude and a Christian guy. And um It was very interesting. You know why I respect it? Because rarely do you find somebody that will grill their own hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Usually people have an idea and they're like, oh, their confirmation bias takes over. They're like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. It's my idea. And they own it emotionally and it gets really distorted. And um, the thing that I like about it is he wrote a book about how cyclical generations – OK, like every 40 years, there's a change. There's what they call a civic cycle or a we generation. And then 40 years later, it's almost like the left and right halves of the brain kind of have a bigger situation when it comes to society. OK, and supposedly the hemispheres are backwards. So like China and the, the Far East, they're going to be if we're in a we cycle or civic cycle, they're going to be in a me okay or an okay. individual cycle so just the basic understanding is that if you look at the literature the 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 movies the entertainment the sentiment of a generation it will all line up in one or two psychological profiles and there's one of them that lines up and says like Hey this is all about you're okay I'm okay let's all express ourselves okay and that was the heartbeat of the 1980s Woohoo! okay <laughs> right now it's different in the fact that there is a demand for conformity it's like if you say something out of line or things that used to be fine, I'm not trying to be controversial, but if you said something like, well, boys are boys and girls are gore- girls, now that's like they, they want to burn you at you the stake. You have violated for that. the groupthink. You have. So it's, it's preposterous groupthink. I don't really like it, but we're kind of right now at the height of what you would call witch hunts. Yes. Okay so that that yeah. is the mark of our time it's actually 1939 scary enough in if you look at the generation of where we're at okay so it's 1939 again which is weird but going back to the 80s i can't remember the exact number of when it transferred over let's see what is 40 years from like 99 or 2001 like back dude you're asking me to do
1: math right 1961. now 1961
2: okay, right. okay. Yeah. 1961 i believe is when it went from the last Civic Cycle or We Cycle into the me.
1: And it's interesting you bring that up because one of the highlights at the beginning of that me cycle was something we talked about several editions
2: ago in 1969, Woodstock. Woodstock, absolutely. And that was a good, like, eight years in. Mm -hmm. So if you look at 1958, you started having the rustlings of the Alpha Voices and arts, entertainment, and music. You're thinking Chuck Berry, um... Sister Rosetta, um, oh, just, yeah, uh, you, know you all these people that had this mojo going on, this yep. self-expression, and it was a couple of years. They were early, okay? So the alpha voices show up early, and then all of a sudden it starts to become mainstream. Because if you look, uh, my dad graduated in the early 60s. I think it was 61 or 62. If you look at his yearbook, they actually look like they were from the 50s. Okay, so most people weren't just, like, immediately, you know, doing rock and roll hair and all that. It was still really clean cut. But you look at the difference between 1961 and 1969, it'll blow your mind, completely blow your mind. So the 80s, the 80s were wild. Man, did you have a Rubik's Cube? I did have a Rubik's Cube. Rubik's
1: Cube, Cube, Smurfs, Star Wars, Frosted Flakes, Tony the Tiger. (laughs) R- Ronald McDonald commercials, man, I'm, I'm going back.
2: There, there was so much about, like, in classic American over-the-topness about the 80s, but it was really cool. You know what I watched? And I think I mentioned this to you. I found a video. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning in Orlando, Florida in 1987. And it's two teenagers that had gone there for Disney, but they were just goofing around in like a Circle K or 7-Eleven, I think. And they were just goofing around meeting people and talking and it's on youtube you can look it up for our listeners if you're if you are like really young what is the generation now or like the um i lost track we, okay yeah yeah we're, we're x we're, or we're something x. back in. yeah the we're generation x yeah and then uh what are they i always say there's hope for them.
1: there's millennials but now we're they're saying that we're into the next generation after millennials which
2: is that anybody know what, what is the generation now it's uh z Generation Z. Is it zombies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's zombies! No, with Generation Z, if you're Generation Z, let's say you're 15, 16, 17 years old and you listen to our podcast, then go and look that up. Look up 7-Eleven 1987 or convenience store, and they're playing with a video camera. And the banter back and forth, it was like we were actually extremely social. I don't yes. know about me and you. We're nerds. But <laughs> I was a wallflower. Like, no, but the, the culture was so okay to be you. Yeah. It was fun. It was like this. And now it's like I got to conform or somebody's going to smash me. I don't know, but I'll, I'll let you. I'm running on at the mouth. No, Not that I, I ever it. do that. I never no, do that. No, you never
1: do that. And there's a reason why we do this. It's not because Dan and Glenn just want to talk about.
2: It's the- for the money. <laughs>
1: No, it's because we want to talk about how cool we were back in the day. no, we were awesome. here I am, get this, I'm putting on my reader glasses right now. I am going to make reader glasses really cool.
2: You could be on MSNBC, you look smart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do I look smarter now? Philip, do I look smarter now that I have this on? I I do believe so. Uh, Thank you, thank you very much. (laughs) The reason why we do this is these cyclical cycles... Cyclical Both cycles. Cyclical cycles, yeah. <laughs> Stacy, there's one for the book. Okay, um, these cycles that occur uh, are spoken of in Scripture. Ecclesiastes. Okay. Solomon, really wise guy, and I'm talking wise and smart, not that he was a comedian, okay? You <laughs> went around with a hand buzzer? <laughs> <laughs> See more butts, how the heck are what you? What a wise guy. <laughs> right. He wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the thing that hath been, It is that which shall be, and that which is done, that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before. So what Solomon is saying here is that there is absolutely nothing new. Human beings are cyclical, is what he's saying. It's funny because as I was researching this, uh, the commentaries were like, well, Solomon is uh, upset and sad about the mundaneness of, human existence at the end at the end okay, exactly but they're talking about this verse as well and you would think that okay here we got this guy that's breathing with god's wisdom he's not just upset that it's mundane but what he's doing he's pointing out to us the way we are as humans and as we are as society and here's where it gets interesting this is why dan and i like to hop in the time capsule there is no remembrance of former things
2: hmm yeah
1: OK, neither shall there be any remembrance of this that are to come with those that shall come after. So people forget. Yeah, we, we forget.
2: Well, generationally, the kids that come up are like, I'm just going to be I'm going to wear bell bottoms. That's new. I'm going to get a tattoo. I'm going to you know, it's nothing new. Yeah, no, It's
1: nothing, nothing new at all. So basically what Solomon is saying is that everything runs in cycles. And we can go deeper on this in in, in further podcasts. But basically, history is forgotten and will continue to be forgotten. And that's why we keep doing the same stupid things that we do. Yeah. yeah, Because we keep forgetting things.
2: That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us.
1: (laughs) But we've got with us today a band that was highly influenced. They're our generation. Highly influenced by the 80s. They are called Winter's Resurrection. And what I find very humorous in a way is that you and i have talked to people in the uk we've talked to people in italy italy we've talked to poland. people in poland and the guys from this band live about five miles down the street from the studio so we did not have to reach out and touch someone via skype today we had them all come here and in the room with us today we have robert philip and mike
2: hello robert philip and mike
1: Hello. Hey guys. It's great to have you guys here. Before we go any further with this, they have a song that I want to play for us to listen to and for our listeners to listen to that touches upon everything that we've been talking about to a degree and everything that we're going to talk about. It's called Crossfire. It's a really for those that dig 80s sounding music, this is good stuff and when we come back We're gonna talk to him about this song. Talk to him about the band. We're gonna reminisce a little bit about the days we were cool.
2: You know what you're doing. You're spinning the hits. I am spinning. Glenn wanted to be a DJ so bad. He's like, we have a long distance dedication. We're gonna be right back. You know, that's funny.
1: And here it comes. This is Crossfire by Winter's Resurrection.
0: Under the rain.
2: Wow. That was good, wasn't you it? You guys, that is like, that's good. is that good? That's really good. It <laughs> makes me want to listen further. I wanted to read the lyrics. It draws me in. It's not, um, it's not, it's a good, unique sound, you know? It reminds me, I, I hear different things of it, and I like components, because everybody, you want it. you all have your own sound, but when I hear it, I'm like, whoa, it's kind of like, yes, got stuck on a tour bus with the scorpions for nine months, you know? <laughs> and then they kind of just you know we're like yeah. oh okay i've been influenced or something but it, yeah. it's beautiful it's it rocks but it's also really symphonic at the same time and then somebody was just like shredding who's the guitar which who's shredding? okay
3: shredding. <laughs> just <commercial. All> right.
2: <laughs> vocals everything i like that and um y'all wrote that as well that's one that y'all wrote yes that's amazing no that's yeah. great me i haven't heard y'all yeah i'm like working all through the week that is that is incredible
1: dude. bill i had no idea you could sing like that i've known you for what several years now yeah
4: um I met you probably about six, seven years ago.
1: Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. And Dan, this is just like 10 miles down the no, street. No, that, that's amazing. It, it's I, amazing.
2: I got to check y'all out when you play. Uh, do y'all gig? No, we haven't. We don't uh, have a
1: band.
5: <laughs> oh. <laughs> we don't <laughs> have a drummer or bass player at this point. Oh, just, okay. And yeah,
4: we're just recording right now. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah.
1: Tell us a little bit about Crossfire. How did that come about? What's that song about? I, I was, wanted the
2: lyrics in front I, of me. It was, I was media. I was, I was like...
1: Picking, I was picking up on it just a little bit. I hear references to Big Brother, Thought Control, Police. I hear references to 1984, uh, The Decision. I hear a little... Explain it. Tell us a little bit about this song, how it came about, what it's about.
5: The song was actually written, I guess, back in the 80s. The music and, itself, yeah. And then we... Uh, Mike and I were working together in a group, and we had a female vocalist, and she actually wrote a different song to it. And we thought about repurposing the song, and Mike had posted something else we'd written, and a guy named Shane, who was in Great Britain at the time, was one of the people that wrote words to the other song, and then he heard this, and he said, hey, I'd like to take a shot at it. So he did it, and he took it a very different direction than the, we, what we had originally written, And, um, you know, his, his lyrics were, um, we just thought were intelligent and he's very creative Now we write stuff very standard verse, pre-chorus, chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, chorus, lead. And he took the song and and really changed it. Um, so he didn't actually write to the verses. So we had to come back after the fact and then take what he had written in the pre-choruses and try to make lyrics in the verse that would make sense. So it was it was an interesting uh, combination of having the music Shane coming up with whole new lyrics, whole new vocals and then us having to finish the verses. Hmm.
1: So this song was written in the 1980s. Yes. The lyrics.
3: The music the music itself. The music not the lyrics.
1: Okay, the music was interesting. We're looking at 40 years that this was written. Here we know with that 40 year cycle. Hmm. That's really cool. So explain to us a little bit about what you're trying to express through this piece of music, because to me it sounds in a way very relevant, very prophetic in a way. The The lyrics are very intelligently written. It makes you think, what is the message that you guys are trying to get across with this?
5: Well, I think Mike would say Mike knows Shane better because they've been uh, conversing back and forth with emails and having work with the other thing. But I know from what everything I've heard is uh, Shane's, uh, faith is very important to him. And when he wrote this, it was, a, you know, the crossfire, the struggles with government, Big Brother, and then his faith part of it. So I think uh, that's where Shane was going with it.
3: Yeah, I mean, he he's a Latter-day Saints kind of guy. He's done a lot of missionary work and stuff like that. And he's very, his lyrics are very kind of apocalyptic, revelation, a lot of things that he does. And so I think with Crossfire, what he, what he was envisioning and coming from was, you know, the fact that things kind of get more and more towards the government overreach, over, the, over our lives, the control. And despite all of that, you know, the daily decision that we have, you know, are we going to be, we're in the world, but are we going to be of the world? Or, you know, we're going to fix our eyes upon God and focus on that. And that's kind of how it plays, you know, the first half of the song. is kind of, you know, here's all the things we're facing. You know, Big Brother, war is peace. Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of nonsense. You know, yes. the the psychobabble of, yeah, you know, war is peace. The, that kind of a thing. And the second half of the song kind of goes to the fact, on a more personal level of, you know, this is the thing that we have to face every day. You know, which way are we going to go with this? We're being... We're caught in a crossfire. All these things, the world, technology, how it's being used, all these things in the end coming at us from every angle, yeah. you know, we're okay. caught in the crossfire. And then the ultimate um, peace that we can derive from that is, you know, God's on our side. Wow. You know, it doesn't matter what we're, we're going to have to face, in the end, you know, He's on our side, so we don't, we don't have to fear any of that. Your but it's so pertinent. Yeah. It is.
1: Yesterday, I was listening to it, and because of the way that the lyrics were written, made me think. And that's the kind of music that I like is music that's going to make me think. Now, mind you, I was going back to Docking days and everything like that. And, you know, a mm-hmm. little bit of it, it was like, oh, this is good. I was feeling really nostalgic when I was listening to it, and that's kind of the draw to it for me. But my ears perked up when I heard 1984. I was like, wow, that, you know, the Orwellian society where the government basically controls everything. So I started doing some research on 1984 and the significance of that because as we were talking about before we even started today, there is no such thing as coincidence. And I think Solomon even points to that in Scripture a little bit, that everything has a season, a time, and a purpose. Everything does. And when we slow down and when we consider it, we can see those things. Unfortunately, what we do in our lives a lot of times is we just kind of go through life and don't think much passivity in a lot of ways. So I started doing some research on 1984 and I started to look into the reasons why George Orwell wrote his book and named it 1984. A couple different theories on that, but one of the ones that I found most interesting is that he completed writing the book in 1948. So the book was looking out 40 years ahead, Pendulum. Hmm. Now, the question is, was he just a great observer of human society? Was he someone that God was moving on prophetically? Or was it a combination of both? Uh, I don't know. There's several other reasons why um, they say that he named it 1984, but 1984 was a very significant year, and there's a couple things I want to talk about too that we can that we can dovetail on. Uh, 1984 was the Jewish year of 5744. Now, the... enlighten me. Okay, I'm
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay, I could play along. Yeah, yeah. that is fascinating. Yeah, got it. Got Whatever it. that means.
1: <laughs> so.
2: The Explain year, your nerdery. Okay,
1: here's the nerdery on it, and uh, we're, we're going to do a little bit more thinking on this. 5744, as you know, that every Hebrew number is represented by the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the year 1984 was uh, the letters of tov, shin, mem, and deled, tov shemod, which means destruction. Hmm. So according to the Hebrew calendar, 5744 was supposed to be the year of destruction. There was a lot of concern. I was going back and reading old newspaper articles written in 1983 in the Washington Post, concerned about the year 1984 being the year of destruction and, and relating it to George Orwell's book, 1984. Mm-hmm. There a lot of panic over that. Now, you and I were probably sheltered a little bit from that from our parents. We were just kind of like, hey man, you know, 1984, Van Halen's got a new album coming out, you know, <laughs> with, a, with an angel smoking a pack of cigarettes on it, you know, doing that. But um, 1984, what happened in 1984, so I decided to go back and take a look at that a little bit more, AIDS was identified in 1984. Hmm. There were advances in DNA science made useful for criminal forensics, and the Macintosh computer came out in 1984, and it's interesting, I don't know if you remember the uh, Super Bowl commercial for the Macintosh computer in 1984. Where was the big brother,
5: George? Oh, Morgan? yeah, yeah. smashes they the, smash thing. the screen, yeah.
1: exactly. And using Macintosh will be so un-1984. Well, the world didn't blow up. And one of the things that you have to do when you consider biblical prophecies, you have to take a look at the context of everything. All right? The temple hadn't been rebuilt yet, or there was no consideration of that yet in Jerusalem. And that's one of the things that, that needs to happen. But... When we take a look at 1984, some things that I would say kind of helped accelerate us more towards that end occurred. Of course, AIDS, the AIDS virus. But then you also have the advances in DNA and the advances in technology. And from what I've been seeing, a lot of the advances in DNA and technology are what are going to lead to the unveiling of the Mark of the Beast and the Beast itself. and and the Antichrist. There's there's a lot of research that I've been doing on that. So you have the Macintosh computer and that coming out. So not necessarily was that the year of destruction, wow, the world's going to blow up. That is the year that I think a lot of things kind of got accelerated, and because God is gracious and merciful, every once in a while, you know, he'll put the foot on the gas, move it forward a little bit more, but because he wants to see people saved and brought to him.
2: I I think that if you looked at it, through different lenses, for example, if you think about individualism leading to community, leading to a sense of nationalism, and you you would actually look back at 1984 and see possibly the birthings of things that would undermine individualism, undermine nationalism. Because right now we're at a very scary place where things have, you know, nationalism is like a bad word. <laughs> Just uh, people, it's all about... The global good and it's all about conformity and and we live even though now it's not so much the government well the government has been surveilling on us you know for a long time and now it's like it was kind of a conspiracy theory like last year that if you said i really need to uh check my insurance rates my insurance rates you know in front of your phone now you get like all these banner ads. Boom. Always the guy shopping automatically. Shopping. Yeah. It's listening to me. And then we're dumb enough. I'm dumb enough. I have two Alexas listening to every word that I say, you know, trying to sell me peanut butter or I mean, it's listening to me. And then Amazon's like, this guy wants peanut butter. Right. And um <laughs> so it's we live in a very the foundations are there and it's just a little bit more tyranny with the government. And it's it's like when I heard that song, it, it I, I could pick up what it was about. And you had discussed a little bit about the meaning, but I hadn't heard the song yet. It really, that whole flow is there. We live in a scary time. It's weird. It's
1: a very But scary it's like time. they
2: give it to you, they bait you in. Oh, all you gotta do is yell at Alexa and she'll play your favorite song. You know, I'm like yeah, Alexa, come on, do you yell at Ale- I you don't don't Alexa I don't have Alexa? Oh, okay, no. yeah, you know too Alexa
1: much. has been banned from this house.
2: I yell at her. I mean, even though she's really convenient, I'm pretty rude with her in Siri. I really have to repent of that. You know, even though they're digital <laughs> like apparitions, I just I don't want to be a, a jerk because when the robots rise up to kill everybody, because you know that's gonna yeah. happen according to every metal song I've ever heard Everyone is
1: the robot's gonna take
2: it, over. That when they do that, I want them to go now that guy's legit spare that one you know (laughs) but any anyhow (laughs) yeah we got use for him he can like be a benign human relations i like all from and what what do robots need i mean we need to change them they need oil changes i guess
1: they they need a regular like the tin man you know (laughs) so one of the things that i appreciate about the project that you have winter's resurrection is that you have songs of faith That make you think. It doesn't beat you over the head. It's not Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time, which gets really legalistic after a while. You also have secular songs that you do as well. You guys sent me one, Black Widow, uh, that I listened to it, and I thought about it. It made me think, again, uh, one of your songs that made me think. And it took me back to when I was in high school, as a teenager, struggling with human relations of getting dumped, of not having a girlfriend, of having a broken heart. And there's profitability to songs like that and things like that because it helps you process what's, what's really going on in life.
2: Is there really such a thing as a secular song? Guys, would you say there's such a thing as a secular song? I could argue that. I know what you mean. I know I, what other people mean when they say it. But I think about if you handed me a bag of gravel, right? It's not secular. It's really not no it is part of God's thing it's part of the logos it's a bag of gravel but if I'm talking about it I'm not going Jesus first every second about look at the gravel but it is I don't know I'm, I'm weird but thoughts
5: it's part of life yeah it's all life's experiences yeah. yeah it's like a story you
3: know
1: tell us about your influences you have a lot of influences in your in your music
3: so being of my age I think my influences started with the, the tail end of the Beatles and then obviously you had like Mountain with Mississippi Queen um, came up through the 70s so there was Sticks, Journey Pat Travers and then along came Kiss and bands like that so it was pretty much a walk of just about everybody that, that you heard on the radio during that period I think the, the biggest thing that stuck with me was kind of the, the 80s style of rock and roll, the 70s, you know, with Sticks, Kansas Journey, bands like that, but then some of the 80s bands, and, and, and I've actually listened to a lot of stuff since then. I think one of the newer, and I put it in quotations, newer bands would be like Dream Theater, which is a lot more progressive and about uses and shipment just going in a million different directions all in one song kind of a thing. So there's a lot of ground to cover there. Oh, I um. You remember those old
4: intercoms that used to be in the houses built in the seventies? Yes, we had those. So we we'd all sit around the table, um, our family and us, we would eat, and I'd be always like the last one to finish eating because I'm singing all the songs, trying to shovel this food down my throat. But um, (laughs) I just something that God put in me. I I just I love to sing, and um, my first uh, concert was actually down at the Garrett Auditorium down there in Charleston. I got to see um, UFO, which was an awesome show, and I got to see Cheap Trick, Aww. and they been, they been, they were like one of my favorite bands since then, and that really, um, you know, my first live album was Cheap Trick live at Budokan, um, I was hooked after that, you know, I wanted to be the singer, I wanted to be the bass player, the guitar player, Rick Nielsen, um, but I was influenced by people like that. Um, Sticks, Journey, I think you know, Steve Perry, what can you say about that, man? It's incredible. Um, the Beatles, their songwriting, um, phenomenal. I don't know if anybody can ever talk them. Uh, Elton John, uh, the Rolling Stones. Um, and when MTV came out, it kind of was, it even gave you more of an interest. It's almost like you could see the guys performing, you didn't have to go to a concert. You know you could just see them uh, uh their videos or even their live concerts that they showed and it had a tremendous effect on me um i I started taking guitar lessons when I was in high school you know, I took for a year I, I I learned how to play piano um I took piano when I was eight from about eight years old till eleven I played three years I wasn't crazy about it I always uh played with a timer, so I wouldn't have to practice for an hour every day. <laughs> when my mom turned her back, I would like put it down, like, "Go,
0: oh, you've already been practicing thirty minutes." <laughs> yeah,
4: mom, I'm getting really tired here. So, um, and uh, I played the trumpet for a couple of years in the uh, middle school band. But yeah, music's always been kind of a part of my life, and um, this, like I said, it's something that God put inside of me. So. And uh, these guys are helping me to bring it out. I'm kind of living uh, one of my—I um, wouldn't say a fantasy or anything—but um, one of my dreams. Of one of my dreams is just being able to record an album, you know, a really good album. And uh, and if, if it does well, that's the icing on the cake, you know. So I do believe that um, being here today was um, um, a divine appointment. Um, being here with you guys. And reuniting with you and Robert, um, I also I believe that thing, everything does
5: happen for a reason. So the drummer <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the elder statesman here. Um, definitely, I think I think the Beatles are the greatest band of all time, no doubt. Uh, didn't particularly want to play their music. Uh, love listening to it still to this day. Uh, a little older, definitely the '70s supergroups. Mm-hmm. It was Journey, Styx, Boston, Foreigner. So that was my big influence. But then when MTV came out with the eighties hair bands, like that's wild. I want to dress crazy (laughs) and play stuff a little heavier. So it started with the seventies groups, but then that whole eighties hair band stuff, I liked a lot of that too.
1: I remember seeing Bon Jovi on American bandstand. And I called my mom into the living room when the TV was on. I said, Mom, I want my hair just like that. <laughs> you know what her answer was? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
2: That didn't. MTV. I, go, go ahead, ahead Dan. No. When did MTV, they came out in, what, 82? I
3: think
2: I think 82? Oh, 80. Okay. I remember I was at a basketball camp and as a youngster at a college And we were staying there, so it's like all of us, they had one TV, you know, so all of the guys at the football camp were like, were glued to that, you know, and just watching MTV every spare second that we had. But y'all, question about the Beatles, because as I've gotten older, I appreciate them more. I always like kind of the early stuff. And then lately, and I don't know why, I guess when I was young, I didn't follow into more their... Psychedelic stuff as much, but now I like it a lot more. Which, which do y'all have a part of the beat? Like, you like really early Beatles, you like all of it. What, what, what really do you get into when it comes to the Beatles? What part of their kind yeah, of All of it. Really? Yeah. Okay. The
3: entire history, the, the growth, the changes that they went through. Like you said, you know, in the beginning, they, they were kind of coming in the tail end of that 50s rock and roll kind mm-hmm. of a thing, and their first couple of songs at least were kind of in that vein, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of a progression, but it was kind of in that vein. But then as they went along and you know, they started experimenting getting into, as you said, like the psychedelics. Well,
2: even when they did the psychedelic stuff, you listen to it, and it can kind of sound like it's, you know, they're tripping and there. It's oozing out, but it's actually incredible songwriting. So it's like, yeah. you know, somebody could get up and just kind of go someplace, but it would usually be kind of elementary They'll have just this just right sort of, I was listening my daughters love the Beatles and love the the trippy stuff love, what is it strawberry fields and and some of these other ones, and I was listening to it, and I was like, that's really amazing. the flow it's so thought out, it's so practiced, but yet it seems like it's just kind of like hey i'm just it's coming out, you know yeah, um kind of."
1: different, very different than their early stuff. Some almost- Sticks. Sticks. I remember the first time oh, I man. ever heard Sticks. Yep.
2: I was in my cousin's. He had an 8-track, and he's in this bright, you remember how bright yellow those uh, Volkswagen Rabbits were? You know, it's like a four-speed Volkswagen Rabbit. And I got in the passenger seat, and they were quite a bit older than I was. This is 1977, probably, 76 or 77. And we're in my driveway, and then he puts in, and it was renegade oh mama how can you know and he started doing that I was like and then the scream happened I was like oh yeah man <laughs> and uh but yeah did y'all feel like Sticks kind of died when they came out with what was the chick song that came out with was it was it babe Because so they went from being like this gritty rock band and I got that I was like yeah but they went all air supply on me kind of <laughs> right there when I was like man Sticks rocked and then they're like it's you Babe, and I was like well that's kind of catchy but I wanna hear him scream, but anyway. I actually had a KTEL record. Remember KTEL records? Yep.
1: Greatest hits on one album. That's right. Yep, exactly. What, what was it called? Greatest hits on one album. That's where they take all the good stuff and put it on one record okay. and sell it cheap. <laughs> okay. But I had a KTEL record and Come Sail Away by Sticks was on there. And that was when I was five, six year old six five or six years old. My mom was buying that stuff for me. Huh. Um Queen was on there as well with We
2: Are the Champions. I love those songs. Great Scott, Glenn. We'll be right back, but we have to summon up 1.21 gigawatts.
3: (laughs) To the DeLorean, Dan!